to Daniel chapter 5. We're continuing this series where we're just working chapter by chapter right through the whole book, God willing. And uh, as we acknowledged last week, the section that we're in from chapters 2 through to 7 are very intentionally structured to make one point very clear. Let me just remind you of what we saw in the structure of Daniel 2 to 7 last week. Most of the book of Daniel is, or a large section of the book of Daniel is written in Hebrew, but chapters 2 to 7 are actually written originally in Aramaic. And the way they're structured is striking. Chapters 2 and 7, they make a sandwich essentially to make the main point. Chapters 2 and 7 are about two dreams, one that uh, the uh, king Nebuchadnezzar had, one that Daniel had, that basically say uh, God's kingdom will never end. Earthly kingdoms will rise and fall, but God's kingdom will never end. Then you get the next layer of the sandwich going in, chapters 3 and 6. You get two examples of the humble and faithful being honored. Those are the chapters that give us Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the, lion, in, in the fiery furnace, and Daniel in the lion's den that we'll come to, God willing, next week. And then right in the middle of this sandwich, chapters 4 and 5, all examples of proud men being humbled. The point is very clear. Pride comes before a fall. Last week, we saw the humbling of King Nebuchadnezzar in chapter 4. God humbled King Nebuchadnezzar and then restored him when he came to acknowledge that God is indeed the one true God who reigns over all. This week, as we enter into chapter 5, we meet a man who should have learned from what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, his father. But this man did not learn the lesson he should have learned. That man is Nebuchadnezzar's son, Belshazzar. Daniel chapter 5 is the account of an arrogant man who failed to respond to the warning God gave him about the dangers of human arrogance and pride. Belshazzar stands in this chapter as a symbol of any person who hears the truth about God but refuses to humble themselves or respond to that truth in faith and worship. Daniel chapter 5 is graciously in our Bibles as a warning saying to us loud and clear, pride comes before a fall. If you are ignoring God in your pride, you must wake up. Heed God's call to humble your heart before him before it's too late. Maybe God has you here this morning graciously Because he wants you to hear the message of Daniel chapter 5 and save you through it. Or maybe you're here and you're a Christian this morning. And God wants to speak to you through this message. Perhaps challenging you about a spirit of pride that has come into your life. Or maybe through the example of Daniel, the faithful witness in this chapter who is filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe God wants to speak to you through this 
to just call you again to humble yourself before the Lord so that you can be clothed with grace, clothed with power from on high. If God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble, our greatest desire should be to be humble people because we want to know that anointing of the Spirit. We want to know the presence of God's grace and favor in Christ in every way. So, the main warning here is God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Pride comes before a fall. And this warning, this message is conveyed through three main scenes in this narrative. The first scene comes in verses 1 to 9. And we see human arrogance meets a higher power. We've been reading about King Nebuchadnezzar in the first four chapters. He died, history records, in 562 BC after a reign of 43 years over the Babylonian Empire. After some wrangling over his successor, some assassinations, one of his sons eventually comes to the throne. His name is Belshazzar. In verse 1, we enter the scene with this son of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, throwing a party for a thousand of his lords, and Belshazzar is showing off how much he can drink in front of them. You're to have the picture of a kind of young, arrogant king who's like, I'm the boss now, I'm the man in charge, come and look at how great I am. All eyes are on Belshazzar in the opening part of this chapter. He's at the center of the party, and that's the way he loves it. He loves to be at the center. He loves to have everyone looking at him and thinking well of him. Well, in the midst of all this bravado and wine flowing, Belshazzar has an idea for how he can show off his power even more fully in front of his guests. In verse 2, we read that he calls for the vessels of gold and silver that his father Nebuchadnezzar took from the temple in Jerusalem when he plundered it. And Belshazzar thought, let's just wheel them out and we can all drink from them. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but this was a huge deal what he was doing. Those cups that came from the temple were to be used only for holy purposes, for the worship of God, to offer up offerings of worship to the Lord in a symbolic way. They were for the respectful honoring of a holy God. Belshazzar was using them for a drinking game. Well, in verses 3 to 4, we read that Belshazzar and all his guests drank from these sacred cups and praised the gods of gold, silver, iron, wood, and stone. This was human arrogance thrust into the face of the holy God. But in verse 5, we read that the moment their filthy lips touched these cups, something happened that totally changed the atmosphere in the room. A human hand appears, imagine it. It starts to write on the plaster on the wall. Notice the wee detail we're given opposite the lampstand. Clearly plenty of light there. God wants everyone to see this. In verse 6, we read how this appearing of the hand and the writing 
affected the king, the young king who had just been so arrogant and confident in front of his guests. Look at what we read there in verse 6. Then the king's color changed. His thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Now the, the narrator there wants you to get this image of the one man who was so arrogant a moment ago and now he's pale and his knees are trembling. There's a lovely colorful expression in the original Hebrew here. That expression, his limbs gave way, they actually literally translate like this, the knots of his loins were loosed. Now I leave you to work out what exactly was going on there, but if there had been a toilet available, he would have been making use of it. Now the hand disappears But the writing on the wall remains. The problem is the king can't decipher what it means. So in verse 7, he calls for his best wise men and says, the one who can tell me what this writing is all about, I'll reward you. You'll get riches and position in my kingdom. He was desperate. But once again, in verse 8, we're told that these pagan diviners are totally useless when it comes to real divine revelation. They could not interpret the writing for the king. And you'll notice there in verse 9, if you had missed it already, the writer wants us to see that Belshazzar has been reduced to a puddle. When he was alarmed in verse 6, in verse 9, we now read that he's greatly alarmed and all his wise men are completely perplexed. What had happened to King Belshazzar in that moment? He became conscious for a moment that he had come into the presence of the holy. When human arrogance stands before the holy, that arrogance falls away in an instant. I wonder, have you ever tasted the presence of the holy? Really become conscious in your heart and soul and spirit that when you pray, you come into the presence of a holy God. We can sometimes be just so superficial and flippant about the holiness of God. We can be so superficial about the weight and seriousness of our sin. And yet every now and again when this happens, when you become conscious of the holiness of God, it reduces you, it brings you low. You suddenly become conscious again of who God is and who you are. It humbles you. Have you been humbled with a glimpse of the God who holds your next breath in his hands? I would encourage you, us together, let's be people who cry out to God and say, Lord, show me more of your holiness. And let that vision of your greatness have its effect on me, to humble me, to drive me again to the cross where I'm forgiven, to help me appreciate who you are and who I am. Here in this first scene, human arrogance meets the holy, meets a higher power, and that human arrogance is humbled. Well, as we move into the second scene then, we see human desperation now seeking a faithful witness. This is verses 10 to 17. 
The uproar and helplessness experienced in that banqueting hall comes to the attention of the queen mother. Now, the translation queen or queen mother, it can go either way, but this lady, whoever she was, seems to have been around quite a long time in the reign of Nebuchadnezzar. She's clearly an older member of the royal family. She thinks back to Nebuchadnezzar's reign and of how this young exile from Judah had been so helpful. His name was Daniel. When no one else could help, Daniel had been able to reveal the mysteries that God had laid out before the Babylonian king. So in verse 10, the queen mother enters the banqueting hall and she says to Belshazzar, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. And then look at the first thing that she says about Daniel. Verse 11, there is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, or it could be translated, as you'll see in the footnote, in whom is the spirit of the holy God. In verse 12, she speaks of Daniel saying there is an excellent spirit in him. In verse 14, when Daniel stands before King Belshazzar, he says the same thing. He's heard that the Spirit of God rests upon this Daniel. Look at how Daniel's reputation precedes him in other things that the queen says of him. In verse 11, she speaks of Daniel as a man who has light and wisdom and understanding. In verse 12, he has knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams and solve riddles and problems. The queen says to the king, let this Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So in 12 to 16, Daniel's brought into the king, and the king essentially says there, look, if you can help me out, I will reward you handsomely. Now, that's the content of this second scene, but what I want to do is draw one key lesson from this scene and park out on it for a moment. I think we see here a lesson from the life of Daniel, a lesson on the power of a steady, faithful Christian witness over a long time in the workplace. Daniel is much older at this stage. Remember, he's survived through this Babylonian empire, all through the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. Now there's a new king on the throne, but this older, mature Daniel is still here. And remember how back in chapter 1, there was an effort constantly, a pressure applied on Babylon, or, or on Daniel, from Babylon. They wanted to Babylonianize him. Do you remember how in chapter 1 we read of Daniel being isolated, taken away from his fellow believers and all that he knew in his homeland? How the effort in Babylon was to indoctrinate him with the best teaching of Babylon? They tried to inebriate him by giving him the best food and best drink and all the luxuries of Babylon. And they tried to give him a new identity. They changed his name to Belteshazzar. There was a complete project over all of these years from Babylon to Babylonianize Daniel. They tried to make him forget who he was. They tried to suppress his true character as a man of God. They tried to just make him blend in so that he would just look like everyone else in the culture. And yet there's this lovely little 
indication in the narrative that though the Babylonians were doing everything they could to make Daniel forget who he was and make him blend in, the narrator is insistent. He wants us to see that though they're trying to call him Belteshazzar, though they're trying to totally make him forget who he was, this is still Daniel. And the way this is communicated in verses 12 and 13 is striking. Daniel's name appears like machine gun fire five times in those two verses. I wonder, did you see it when it was being read? An excellent spirit, etc., were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. They're being reminded of the effort to change his name and identity. And then we read, now let Daniel be called. Verse 13, Daniel was brought in to the king. And the king said to Daniel, you are that Daniel whom my father brought from Judah. It is wonderful. You're supposed to see everyone's trying to get him to forget who he is, to change him so that he looks like everyone else in the culture. But his character and his witness and his walk with God kept shining through. And remember, he wasn't a pastor. He was a civil servant. This was Daniel in the workplace, working with integrity over a long time, being patient, being faithful, being quiet, and his witness was shining through constantly. The same Daniel, bearing witness for the kingdom of God. Now, I want to sit, stand back for a moment and just think, how can we stand out and be faithful like Daniel? We know The pressure is on in our culture. I'm sure you've probably seen the most recent loyalist propaganda out in East Belfast there. I don't know if you've seen the sign with the big balaclava. And what is it? The prevention of the erosion of our identity is now our number one priority. That's what the loyalist community are saying at the moment. And I often think of that not in that whole political loyalist world, but as Christians in the church, the prevention of the erosion of our kingdom Christian identity must be our number one priority. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm saying that our culture wants to dilute our Christian witness, wants us to forget that this city, this world is not our true home. That we are people who are looking towards the kingdom of God. We live by different values. We hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. And though everything is making us, is putting us under pressure to to step down, be quiet about your Christian ethics, your moral stance, be be, be quiet about your, your faith in the one Savior, we are called to stand out and be faithful over our lives. How can you stand out and be faithful like Daniel in this culture? Or here's another way to think of that question. How can you cope with the challenges of living as an exile in a fallen world? We are all going through difficult things. There are challenges, unique for us as Christians, but then there are challenges that are common to humanity at the moment. We experience grief and bereavement and sicknesses. We have unsaved family members and friends, people we care about. We have relational stress. We are broken in many different ways, weak, and we just don't know what to do. How can we cope with going through all the challenges that are thrown at us in a fallen world? Well, when I look at this text, there is one answer to that question. How can I stand out and be faithful like Daniel? How can I cope when everything's trying to erode my faith? How can you get through? Here's the answer drawn from Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6, but it's everywhere in Daniel. Not by might 
nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. What differentiates Daniel in this chapter? What do the people see in him that sets him apart? And we're told that over and over and over again, this Daniel had the Spirit of God on him. He was anointed. He was blessed with the Holy Spirit. Of course, the Babylonians looked and they just said, the Spirit of the gods is on him. There's some different Spirit on him. They didn't know what we know. The Holy Spirit was resting upon Daniel and empowering his witness, empowering his growth in character so that he presented and made on display the fruit of the Spirit in his life. The same spirit that rested on Daniel and made him the man he was rests on every child of God. But as the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5.18, we can be more filled with the Spirit or less filled with the Spirit. Why else would he say be filled with the Spirit? Because as Christians we're like leaky buckets. We're filled with the presence of the Spirit. And sometimes it's like we read our Bible and we see the truth of God's Word and it makes our hearts sing. And there are other mornings where we read and it's like dry. We want to read God's Word and be, be fizzing as that truth comes to us again. We want to pray and take down the gates of hell as we bombard them in prayer before the Lord. We want to be men and women of God who are on fire for God, not Deluded down, superficial, half-baked, sorry excuses for Christians. We want to be filled with the Spirit, ministering in the power of the Spirit of God. And so we want to cry out, God, fill me with your Spirit. I don't have the strength to be bold and courageous. I don't have the strength to keep going consistently in the workplace over 30 or 40 years. But you can help me, Lord, not by might, nor by power, by my spirit. That's how you become a Daniel. That's how you stand out. If you want to be a stronger Christian, a more faithful witness, if you want to know more power and blessing in your life, you need a fresh experience of the Holy Spirit filling you up to overflowing. And here's the wonderful thing. Jesus has said, just ask. The Father is ready to give. And I take that directly from Luke 11, verse 13, where Jesus said, If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? When was the last time you asked as a needy, needy person to be filled and empowered afresh with the Holy Spirit of the living God? Have we forgotten Have we forgotten our need of God and God's Spirit to make us what we can't make ourselves? Have you forgotten that to cope with the overwhelming burdens of doing life in a broken world, the only way you can get through is not by your might, not by your power, but by the Holy Spirit? So here, in this scene, human desperation seeks a faithful witness And let me tell you this, in your workplaces, amongst your family and your friends, you are positioned to be a faithful witness for the kingdom of God. 
It might mean for long periods of time, you don't see that many opportunities. For long periods of time, you're just working away and you're wondering, is anyone even noticing? They are noticing. Your colleagues, your family, your friends, they are watching you. And your call is to believe in the power of a quiet, steady, faithful witness to God over a long time, just where God has placed you. We're all missionaries where God has placed us. But you're not going to be able to do that unless you are empowered by God's Spirit. Make the most of the power that is there for you. Well, after this human arrogance being met by a higher power, after human desperation seeks a faithful witness, now we come to this final scene of the narrative where human defiance is confronted with God's judgment. This is the rest of the text, verses 17 to 28. This is powerful. If you haven't put your seatbelt on already, put it on now. In verse 17, Daniel tells the king, keep your honors and gifts for yourself, but I will read the writing for you and make known the interpretation. Daniel now proceeds to deliver his most stirring sermon in the whole book of Daniel, if not one of the most stirring sermons in the whole of the Old Testament. And like any good preacher, he has three main points. A point that is based on the past, a point that is based on the present, and a point that looks to the future. First, he looks back at a past lesson that this arrogant King Belshazzar should have learned from. Verses 18 and 19, he takes Belshazzar back to the days of his father Nebuchadnezzar's rule. He says, everything your great father had, kingship, greatness, glory, majesty, all his authority over peoples, nations, and languages, it was all given to him by the Most High God. But then he says in verse 20, but Belshazzar, there was a time when your dad got proud. His heart was lifted up. His spirit was hardened. So he failed to give glory to God, and he started to give glory to himself. He boasted and acted like he was God. So God brought your father down from his throne and his glory was taken from him. Verse 21, his mind was made like that of a beast. His dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He ate grass like an ox, until, etc., until he knew that the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it over whom he will. After delivering that first point, Daniel now moves to this second point. Instead of looking to the past, he looks at the present, the present arrogance that Belshazzar has displayed, even though he should have known better. And Daniel ratchets up the rhetoric at this point, and you can feel it. It's as if he points his finger at, at Belshazzar. And seven times in rapid fire, he says the word, you. Look at it, verse 22. And you... His son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house that have been brought in before you. You and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines, you've drunk from them. And you have praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which don't see, hear, or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. 
Wow, that's powerful. If his loins had become loosed earlier, you wonder what was going on now. As Daniel thundered out this indictment against him. You have not honored the God in whose hand is your next breath. And so he now looks to the future consequences that are very near future for Belshazzar. Verse 24, and so God sent from his presence this hand. He's saying, this is God's word for you, Belshazzar. And think of how powerful this is, because remember, this is God and his writing. Mine, mine, tekel, parson. Do you know what that means? Numbered, numbered, wed, broken into, divided asunder. And Daniel interprets it. God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought them to an end. You have been weighed in the balances and found wanting by this holy God. Your kingdom is to be divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. You imagine that. God's writing on the wall saying to you, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. That would be the story for every human being if Jesus Christ had not come to save us. What was Belshazzar's big problem according to God's word here? It was twofold. You can't miss both of these because they're important. First, Belshazzar did not respond to the truth that God was communicating to him. He failed to respond to the light God gave him. Verse 22, you have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. You knew what happened to your father. You knew you should humble your heart before the Almighty God, but you chose in arrogance to reject him and have your party. I wonder, could anyone here be guilty of doing this? Anytime we hear the truth of God's word and it does not humble us or lead us to a right response, we're being like Belshazzar. His second problem, though, was that he was not honoring the God who gave him everything he had. Verse 23, boy, it grabs your attention, doesn't it? The God in whose hand is your next breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. In the New Testament, in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 to 23, the Apostle Paul speaks of how all mankind by nature makes this fatal error. Every one of us. By nature, Every human being knows that there is a God. They see his power and glory displayed in creation. But because of their sinful nature, they do not honor God as God or give thanks to him. Instead, we exchange the truth of God for a lie and choose to go our own way and to worship created things instead of the creator. Because Belshazzar had done this, God weighed him in the balances and he was found wanting. And because of this, God judged him. He struck him down leveled his arrogance and gave him what he deserved for his blasphemy against the holy God. And this stands in Scripture as a warning for each of us this morning. If we keep on rejecting the light that God is giving us, if we keep on dishonoring the God who has given us each next breath, even in this moment, 
and who has given us everything else, the day will come where that breath will not be given to us and where we will stand before God in judgment. We will be wed and we will be found wanting. And those who end up standing before God in that position where they are wed and found wanting, they will go to hell forever. Because God is holy. He will not permit into his new heavens and new earth anything that will ruin it. He wants to preserve the holiness and purity of the new heavens and new earth so that his people can enjoy it forever. So you will not be able to have access to God or the new heavens and new earth if you are in your sin. But if you still have breath in you this morning, there's hope for you. His kindness in keeping you alive so that you can hear this message is meant to lead you to repentance. And though the writing was on the wall for Belshazzar, it doesn't have to be on the wall for you today. Listen. Take this seriously. I'm not exaggerating. Your life could be held by a thread over the pit of hell this morning. And it is sheer mercy that God has not let you drop. Sheer mercy keeps you out of there. And the God who holds your life in his hand, you are not honoring him. Why is he not dropping you? Sheer mercy. Will you not turn and honor him this morning? Give him the honor that he deserves. There is hope for you this morning. You can be forgiven from your sins. Your circumstances can be dramatically changed so you're not under the judgment of God, but that you live your life under the pleasure of God. There is only one who can transform our circumstances, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, this book, Daniel has already spoken to us of one who's going to come. We know now he did come, Jesus Christ. He is the stone that was spoken of in chapter 2, not cut by any human hand, who will set up his kingdom that will never end. He is the one who would have that special anointing of the Spirit. He would be the true and faithful witness who would come to proclaim a way where we can be saved from our sin and from God's judgment. The whole of the book of Daniel leads us ultimately to the hope of new life that there is in Jesus Christ. You see, last week we saw King Nebuchadnezzar. He was judged by God, but he humbled himself and he was saved. Belshazzar did not get the same opportunity. He was humbled by God. He had no interest in repentance, and God took him down. And yet here we are, and Daniel chapter 4 and 5 asks us the question, which camp will you be in? Will you humble yourself before this holy God who's given you a message? He's given you a preacher. He's given you light, and yet you're still turning away. Will you humble yourself, or will you not? And will you be in the camp of Belshazzar being judged under the judgment of a holy God? who is just and right in that judgment. You see, God knew that by nature, all of us, by ourselves, would be wed in the balances and found wanting. The Father in love sent the Lord Jesus Christ to sort out our spiritual bankruptcy problem. Jesus steps in in his incarnation, 
On the cross, he bears our wrongs. He takes our sin of dishonoring God. He takes the punishment. He takes the sentence of death. He's broken to save us. And he says to us all this morning, I will give you what is needed so that you can be wed and not find wanting. He alone can make our account right with God. Think about this. The hand that wrote the judgment bore the nails to take the judgment away. The hand that writes the judgment sends the one who takes the judgment away. That is amazing grace. And now this forgiveness, this escape from judgment, this new life stands here for us. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 5.21, the Apostle Paul speaks in this way and he says, Look, for our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And then he goes on in verse 6 and says, Look, working together with him, that is with the Lord, then we appeal to you, don't receive the grace of God in vain. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. You can be saved now. You can get right with God today. And look at how this passage ends. Verse 29, Daniel is honored. But in verse 30, Belshazzar is brought down. That's the message of Daniel chapters 4 and 5. The humble will be exalted in the end, but those who are proud will be humbled. God honors the humble and humbles the proud. Don't stay in the camp of the proud this morning, or you will be wed by a holy God and found wanting, and you will spend eternity in hell regretting that. You will hear these words and this moment, and you did not repent. God could say, if you go out and don't get yourself right with him, he could say that, that, that you should have repented. You knew what you should do and you didn't do it. Humble yourself before the Lord. Give him the honor he's due. Repent and receive the forgiveness that there is in Christ Jesus. I can't be any more clear with you. And this chapter is crystal clear. You must be born again. You must receive the forgiveness and new life that there is in Jesus Christ you must respond and start honoring the Lord. And for us who are already Christians, let's just come back again and remember where we once were apart from this grace, wed in the balances and found wanting. And yet Jesus stepped into the scales with us, said, not wanting anymore. You are not wanting anymore because Jesus stands with you in judgment. Wed in the balances and not wanting because of Jesus. But we're called to now live those lives of faithfulness, called to reflect the appreciation that we have of our Savior, called to live those spirit-filled lives so that we can have the strength to cope with all that overwhelms us in this fallen world. The greatest indictment against us, the greatest judgments against us have been taken away. And so now we have everything we need, the spirit of the living God without limit, so that we can have strength to keep persevering as we live for the Lord 
through our Babylonian captivity. So, brothers and sisters, this morning, go out into another week, knowing the strength of the Lord, knowing the joy of the Spirit in your heart because of everything that Jesus has stepped in and done for you. Let us go and let us rejoice and let us show by our lives that we belong to the kingdom that will never end. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this stirring chapter and stirring sermon from Daniel to Belshazzar. Seven times he points at him and he charges him with his sin of arrogance before the Holy One of Israel. O Lord, this chapter is in the Bible so that we will heed, take heed and repent. And we thank you, Father, for where this chapter leads to the cross, where Jesus stepped in and took our sin of dishonoring the Father, and he paid the price for it. And he went to the grave, and he rose again, and he conquered sin and hell and death. And now in him we can stand and know that that day, if we're wet in the balances, we'll not be found wanting. And the only reason that we can say that with confidence and hope is because of Jesus, his accomplishments. He alone is sufficient to make us right with you. He is our hope, and we thank you for his salvation and for the treasure that he is. And I pray, Lord, for anyone that hears this message, now or recorded later on, I pray that by the power of your Spirit you would work, that they would not keep dishonoring you, the God who holds their life in his hands. Oh, Lord, this is a day of grace, a day for repentance. And I just pray, Lord, that you would work through this to bring salvation through the power of your word and the power of your spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. But we're going to respond by singing of this amazing grace that there is for us in Christ. Let's stand together and sing of the hope we have.
And now may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and to be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you...